Football on off the ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Now you're very welcome back. Happy to say Miguel Delaney of the London Independent is on the line. Good evening. Thank you for the time. Evening, Joe. You were in Qatar. So this yes. uh, was your first time experiencing World Cup pipe and the World Cup draw. We'll come to all that in a moment. Just in a, in a practical sense, because we've heard about the size of the place for quite some time now. And indeed, FIFA's own technical report uh, flagged the fact that this was uh, of questionable size to host a 32-team tournament. What did your eyes tell you? Uh, my eyes told me it was way too small. Even, I mean, even in relation to the draw, actually. I mean, again, it, 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 all these sort of comments have to be put in the wider context of the much more serious issues, the human rights abuses, the uh, institutional racism against against um, workers from South Asia there, all that. But even from the kind of basic practicalities, on the night before the draw, it was basically impossible to book kind of, for, for people there to book restaurants uh, in the Western Bay area, which is kind of the main hub of the city. Uh, and it, it felt kind of that there wasn't enough space for it. Added to that, I mean, there was so much construction work. Um, and like, I mean, I think we've both been to the last few World Cups, Joe. And when you think about what they were, I mean, South Africa, Brazil and Russia. And of course, there's there's other debates about those World Cups too, particularly Russia. But I mean, they were pretty much continents and they almost need to be because the World Cup has become such an unwieldy event because it is so big, because it is, you know, it, it is 32 nations. You need stadiums, you need infrastructure, you need training camps. Um, and uh, just compared to that, I mean... I saw one comparison was sent to me where if you if you yeah, transpose the area that the World Cup or most of the World Cup is going to be played in onto Ireland or onto the Dublin, it's the area from Donabay to Bray. Apologies to the Twitter user who sent me that. I can't remember who it was, but I mean, <laughs> that kind of sums it up. Uh, yeah. Now, the flip side is just because this is an autocracy with limitless wealth, I actually do think they'll pull it off. But then you get into the questions of whether it's worth it at a moral cost, let alone a financial cost. Well, I, actually, just just to uh, cut across myself, um, the one issue, I, I think they'll make it work in terms of facilities for the teams, all of that, and stadiums, mm. and getting to, stadium, getting to stadiums. The one thing where I would have some doubt at the moment is accommodation, uh, where it, it feels like that will be in really short supply. But again, we're talking about a country with limitless wealth. Um, but then we are, like, I mean... Even at the at the rate they can spend and what they can, I suppose, uh, for, for for want of a better phrase, almost the uh, the construction infrastructure that allows them to do things at a certain speed with 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 this awful human rights toll, we're still now what six months away from the tournament, or sorry, seven months out from the tournament. And if you look, I mean, Tarek Panja put up a photo of the area around uh, the Lasalle Stadium where the final will be held. And it's, just, it's loads of basically arid desert land when like the the all the kind of promo pics have like lovely greenery and great infrastructure around there. So they've still got to get that up as well as construct a lot of accommodation. And um, my eyes told me it's it's just way too small. It was my immediate impression on landing there. Mm. Um, but then, 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 of course, you have all the rest of it. Yeah. I suppose there is a grand tradition of any host uh, city or country uh, appearing in the media six, seven months out and will they be, re be ready to play as a construction site, be it Olympic Games or, or World Cup tournaments 
Uh, generally, they pull it together. It just seems yeah. to be the way of these things. And as you said, money is no object. Just in terms of size, though, with regard to accommodation, there has been talk of cruise ships and tented villages. Is that the direction it's going in or will they just throw up a couple of skyscrapers? Oh, no, the cr- cruise ships are very real. Okay. <clears throat> also, the cruise ships have the added elements in that from like, because like, I was out there all a Saturday as well and actually met some Irish people I know who live in Doha. So we're just like, talking about all these issues. And I actually had a, a, some of their friends um, who are uh, Palestinians who live in, uh, in in Doha, and I had some interesting discussions there about some of the pieces I'd written. Uh, <laughs> they were they were <laughs> they weren't too happy with them, yeah. but um, we were just saying like one of the elements and is that if you have the cruise ships, I, from what my understanding is and from what the guys were saying live there, you can actually it, it's more for, easy to drink alcohol on some of these cruise ships that the the laws aren't as stringent on the water. Now, there is some talk that they will relax alcohol laws because, of course, that is a big part of a World Cup. Let's let's not get churlish about it. Um, But there is also some talk that they may relax off-license rules. Like at the moment, I think anyone looking to buy alcohol in Qatar uh, is only allowed a certain quota um, each month or something along those lines. I'm not sure the exact specifics of that, but it is that's, that's the vague idea. But there's talk of relaxing it. But yeah, the cruise ships are not relevant to that. And that is a, a very real solution for it. But, but at the moment, so say if, if you want to go out for a drink after a game or whatever, you pretty much have to go to uh, one of the five-star hotels. Ah, okay. Because I was going to ask about that. The general vibe around uh, City when there's a big match on at World Cups or various events is the bars are packed, everyone's drinking in the bars and generally the weather is good at these things. So people are on the streets as well and it's fairly relaxed and people are having a good time. Is that going to happen in Qatar, uh, temporary bars built or otherwise? Because that's my sense. I mean, again, I I think we'll get doomsday scenarios and and this will be uh, heavily policed. But I think in reality they'll throw up a gazillion temporary bars and at a glance, it won't look completely unlike previous World Cups. Or well, what are you hearing on that front? Well, there is, so yeah, I mean, because actually we drove past the area where the fan zone is supposed to be, which is a, a long stretch of land near the Corniche, which is that just that kind of a, a corner element of the, of the Gulf where they have a lot of, um, yeah, like a nice architecture there and all that. It's kind of a, an area being prettified as we speak now, a lot of construction there. Um, and yeah, there has been some talk about putting up bars there, all that is quite unclear. But even as you were saying that, and when I was thinking about those fans, those fan zones, again, you can't help getting getting into kind of these bigger discussions about a tournament because um like I remember even again Russia for, for all the many faults of that tournament, and obviously its legacy has changed and it's pretty much now a modern 1936 Olympics. But say, one of my vivid memories of that tournament was being in Nizhny Novgorod, again, a city people wouldn't usually go to, and just being in a, in a, in a shopping mall trying to get a bit of lunch before Argentina, Croatia. And it was amazing. The place was taken over by 30,000 Argentinian fans, like just all singing in unison. It was incredible. Um, and I wonder, given, given that ultimately we're in a Muslim country with quite uh, an autocracy and a relatively hardline uh, conservative attitude, there are questions about whether this is going to be allowed uh, or, or how they'll react to this. Uh, and, and even then, when you, when, you, when you mentioned the fan zones, I mean, what World Cups have become, it's, it's by accident, of course, and it's an era, it's in an era where mass travel has been possible. And thankfully, it's likely again after COVID. But what a World Cup really has become, and what is best about a World Cup, is a celebration of humanity. I mean, you know, remember in 2014, Joe, and we were walking along like the Copacabana and there's just fans there from everywhere. It's, it's, it is one of the, for, for all the flaws of the World Cup, it is one of the quite beautiful things about it. 
But then if you're, if you're talking about Qatar, where there's obviously kind of religious laws about women, um, homosexuality is illegal, you know, should a World Cup really be in health? If it is this great celebration of humanity, which FIFA now tried to market, should have been in a, held in a, in a country where large sectors of society may not feel comfortable going. Well, it's very striking that Qatar's response to these questions is becoming less accommodating and more aggressive. For instance, Nasser al-Qatar, the chief executive of Qatar 2022, rebuked Gareth Southgate for mentioning LGBTQ issues. So it seems as if Qatar officially feel we have served our time here. We've taken a hell of a lot of criticism. This is now our moment. You can all just back off. And by the way, Southgate, if you think, and Norwegian FA chief executive as well, if you think you're about to start the rebuking of us for the next six, seven months, we're not taking it anymore. We're coming out fighting. That was the read. And I can understand that from a PR point of view. They're going to make any manager think twice before coming out the way he rebuked Southgate. I think he said, yeah. educate yourself. One of the great cliches when you're oh, losing yeah, a yeah. fight, educate yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think the the only response to that is, well, you can't have a better education than talking to human rights groups on the ground here. And they would all say that the progress, which we're, which we're now basically duty bound to say that Qatar has made, but they'd all say that progress is nowhere near good enough. If anything, it's superficial. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right. There's been a clear shift in tone, especially as kind of, um, the Qatar's World Cup journey again to use a kind of one of these horrible modern phrases like educate yourself it's near, what we're 90% of the way through it and for most of that for most of those 12 years the the attitude has been oh yes we're, we're, we're progressively and constructively willing to confront criticism we want to improve and I think it is certainly true that they're much more open in that regard, despite actually not being as liberal, say, as the United Arab Emirates in terms of what you can do in the country. Mm. Uh, they actually are more open in terms of criticism and being willing to confront criticism. Okay. But yeah, there has been a shift. There's been a definite shift in tone where it almost feels like the line is, how, how dare you not now praise us for making all these changes when, okay, yeah, fair enough. Some changes have been made, but almost every human rights group would say it's not good enough. There was a UN report last year which, which said that there's institutionalized racism against uh, the South Asian workers. And, and you shouldn't get to host a World Cup just because you've made some changes as a consequence of that World Cup. Our threshold and our standards should be much higher than that. Mm. On the improvement point, so the Kafala system has been brought to an official end when it facilitated for however long the abhorrent treatment of human beings. So that has officially been brought to an end. In a practical sense, what are you hearing? I presume you didn't get to see very much of the um, uh, lot of the migrant workers over there in your trip. Well, no, to be honest, actually, you, can, you know, we didn't, in the time I had and, um, you know, with everything going on, because it was actually quite an intense few days with the amount of events and all that um, between different federations. And, and really, like, that's one thing a draw is, it's basically a who's who of people. Uh, like people in football, like every federation head there. Um, and it's a, it was a first chance, especially post-COVID, to talk to some of these people. So we didn't get to go to a Labour camp, although I think uh, virtually every journalist that is even doing the kind of the minimum required warm the job will will certainly have to uh, come November. Um, but you can't, like, you can't move for construction sites around Doha. It's And it's remarkable, actually. Like, this isn't a, a pedestrian-friendly city. So you're like, if you're trying to get from one hotel to the next, which is basically you're pretty much your social life or you're almost your professional life, if you're staying in the Western Bay, you could be walking along what seems a path for two minutes. Um, 
And then suddenly it becomes a road and then the road becomes a construction site. <laughs> like you're taking your life in your hands. Mm. So it's a very car friendly city in that regard. But of course, yeah, you're, um, you're, uh, you, you see construction everywhere. You know, I, I was speaking to some of the, uh, some of the workers on those constructions because they're so open. You literally, and in some cases you actually do walk through the construction sites to get, to get to your hotel. And like, so I, I had some of the guys even, you know, opening a little passageway for me. And it's just like briefly talking to them. And um, I suppose this, this, is, this is another element of it. And it, there's an excellent piece from Nicholas McGee in, in Josimar about this, about just how deep the Kefalis, at least the culture around the Kefalis goes. And one of, one of the workers was basically saying to me, we actually, we, we like when Westerners come over. And I, 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 I and again, I don't mean to kind of say this from a kind of a, a, a Western perspective. That That's actually one thing that was put to me on Saturday saying like where it, it feels like every view from the Western media is hypocritical criticism of the Arabic world. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do. But the reality was I had workers saying to me that they like when Westerners come over because they tend to be a lot more polite than the local population. And this, again, it, it reflects something that we've seen from the UN report where and it's it's something that organically grow goes from these situations. And again, I would advise people to read Nicholas McGeehan's excellent piece in Josimar. Nick has um, he's been working for various human rights groups now, currently Fair Square, and has been big on human rights in Qatar. Where basically, I mean, part of where some some of the some of the local population and some expats, it must be said as well, this situation developed where they basically they, they talk so rudely and so down to so much to, to so many of the workers and and again that's that's quite a minor thing but in in, in real terms and how we deal with people everyday life it is actually a big thing mm. but it's reflective of an attitude and 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 an attitude that basically governs the kafala system and it's and it's precisely why even though it's officially gone uh the the reality of it where and and the way it's actually pro- applied mm. isn't gone at all and that's why on the eve of the draw despite qatar's appeals to how many changes they've made, Human Rights Watch uh, released an article about ten questions that journalists should ask FIFA and Qatar about uh, uh, about what's happening next. And among them, which sums up basically how nothing is really solved, just to read out a few, mm. you've got why does why does FIFA continue to praise Qatar's reform despite the ongoing human rights violations? Why are migrant workers in Qatar still not being paid despite announced labour reforms? Why has the Qatari government not published official statistics on the total number of migrant deaths? Um, do, do FIFA and Qatar authorities have any plans to compensate family members? And that's an, like just on that last one. I haven't read all the ten questions there. But people can check it out just by uh, just by googling Human Rights Watch ten questions. Mm. But on that, there is so far human rights groups aren't advocating boycotts of the tournament, and I don't think they will. In part, probably because they know the, the mechanism behind these things is too big and and, and Teams are going to go, TV is going to show the games. So you have to adapt to that reality. But one of the things, and this is relevant to your point about Southgate getting shut down. One of the things that players and managers can do is actually quite a small thing for them, but could be a potentially huge thing for the legacy of this World Cup and where it can bring change, is ask for compensation for workers' families and ask for investigations into debts. And that's quite a simple thing. And it's why... The stock line from so many players and squads at the moment is basically we need time to kind of assess what sort of gesture we're going to make. Well, this this is one that has been promoted by human rights groups for months, mm. um, and I think and I think if if you're going to go and play in this tournament, 
And yes. I think everyone accepts they should. This is at least one small thing they can do. Otherwise, I think you're actually fair game for criticism. Yeah, it's like it is an it's an it's a horrific thought that we're going to a country where LGBTQ rights are now being openly, you know, like even rainbow flags. There's talk of them being uh, confiscated if they're waved. I mean, they, like this is outrageous. Yeah, I think of, like, and and to what extent do you think FIFA have gone into all this with their wide with their eyes wide open on an issue like this? I'd separate it from the migrant workers in a sense. This is a more cultural issue. To what extent do you think uh, FIFA, when they awarded this uh, tournament to Qatar, knew they were taking on this issue? Well, FIFA's current argument is, and um, while I would obviously be very critical of FIFA, this is actually one area where you have some small sympathy for them in that. As well, their pretty their standard line is now basically they inherited this World Cup, which actually is true because they did inherit it from the old regime. Um, given uh, and, and also to be fair, it was after the massive massive upheaval of FIFA, upheaval at FIFA in 2015 that yeah. they brought in all these new restrictions or sorry all these new parameters for hosting tournaments, which is basically going to be around human rights. Now we'll see how far that goes, given that many people think Saudi Arabia will eventually host a World Cup. Um, so there is nothing sure that Saudi Arabia will, they, they will <laughs> well, host well, the next Middle Eastern World Cup 100%. There is, there is actually an interesting thing there though. I mean, yeah, I, I know we're, we're, we're talking about uh, how much change FIFA should be going through now or how much, whether it should be forcing more through. But some of this could actually be taken out of their hands because there's an interesting, I, I, when I was in Abu Dhabi, and I, <laughs> that's where the Club, Club World Cup was, a state or an emirate that's even actually, um, you know, it's even worse in terms of, I would say, uh, human rights than Qatar. It's like, even when I was talking to FIFA people, FIFA people there, and it was put to me to look at what's going to happen with 28, 2030 and 2032, in which just after UEFA and Conmebol basically strike this new alliance, which is in response to the, uh, to the floated idea of a, of a biennial World Cup, UK stands aside for, or sorry, the FA stand aside for 2030. And even though Turkey and Russia have declared their interest, they're pretty much a shoe in for 2028 with Ireland. 2030, it now looks like because of this alliance, it's going to be Spain and Portugal with to recognise the centenary, some marquee fixtures given to Uruguay. And then obviously Italy are going to go for 2032. So suddenly we have a real old world traditional powers, but very, you know, Western democracies, which is such a shift from the last few years. Uh, so for, so from one perspective, I think FIFA's, not their power has been neutered, but suddenly they can't railroad through the votes, especially with UEFA and Conmebol. Suddenly their sudden response to anything FIFA do is now, well, we've got the players and we, we, we've got the source of income then. Mm. So that, that, that's a, hu a hugely influential, um, or sorry, a huge potential weight or influence on voters. Um, but also, in, in relation to your point on sports watching, I, I, I do actually I completely agree. I think there is an argument this could well be the last of the sports watching era tournaments uh, for two reasons. First of all, I think everyone is more attuned to this. I mean, this yeah. is ultimately bound up with 2018 for the way the tournament was won. Um, um, and, and just because there's been so much discussion of it that everyone's more more likely. I mean, Saudi Arabia is one thing with the way, I suppose, they're kind of railroading, railroading the way into sport. But say like China had been seen as the obvious next choice of 2030, that that seems really unlikely now. Mm. And on the other side of that, it's not just the people who are tuned, 
But also I think that sports washing is now getting more sophisticated and states like Qatar and Saudi Arabia and indeed the UAE through Abu Dhabi, actually it's much more powerful to own football clubs. Because, um, I mean, while, while, while the Qatar World Cup has actually been, um, you, you would say actually, I suppose, in terms of the perception, it's, it's been quite debatable for Qatar. It's brought a lot of focus. Oh. Whereas, it's been horrific. It's yeah, been horrific. Well, I mean, it, this, this this World Cup is Father Ted Creeley and Dougal Maguire outside a cinema. I mean, yeah, I yeah. guarantee you 90% of our audience, and I have to say me included, did not know the ins and outs of what the kafala system, for instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. was. And wouldn't have been completely au fait with various issues in the country. And to put it bluntly, I now have a much dimmer view of Qatar. Yeah than I had before they ever came into contact with the World Cup. I hadn't given Qatar too much thought. Like to the point, it's made me wonder if that's even, if, if, if like sports washing is what they're trying to do. Maybe it's just like a, a kind of a flex, like look at us, we're great and you don't like us and we know this isn't going to convince you to like us and we're just going to do it our way anyway. Because like if it's to make the 6 billion people in the world more well disposed to Qatar, yeah, and that has not happened. It just, it just is backfired spectacularly. Well, now I think in that regard, it's more, it's more about integrating themselves into Western society, and also given the politics of the Middle East. Actually, when I discuss these things, I often find it remarkable that I'm, I'm like, I'm supposed to be a football reporter, but here we are talking about issues like yeah. this because of how the game is used, and it was put to me that actually football is a great map for where the real power and real money is in the world. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, whatever about the general person's view of Qatar. What's actually key here is that given how isolated they are in the Gulf, it's a, it's a lot harder basically for someone to declare war on Qatar when they've held the World Cup and they're so, I mean, look, look at the relationship with France. And that's another, whatever about this World Cup, the, the PS, and whatever about what you think of what a farce or a circus PSG are as, as, a, as a football team trying to win the Champions League, the PSG project has actually been a spectacular success. You only have to go out into the street and look at the amount of kids wearing PSG gear that usually have some form of Qatar branding on them. That, that, I mean, that, that's, that's been a spectacular success. And it is that bit more sophisticated than maybe kind of the old world sports washing approach, which is basically hosting international tournaments. Okay. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. Miguel Delaney of the London Independent was with us. Our football coverage and off the ball brought to you by Sky. Watch every UEFA Champions League, Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. Miguel, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, no better. All right, see you, Joe. Football on off the ball. With Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.